In the episode, Two Parties, Jerry mistakenly sits at which former politician's table? Answer at the end of the episode. Hello, welcome to Citizens of Pawnee, a Parks and Recreation podcast. My name is Brian, and I'll be your host. If this is your first time listening to the show, thank you very much. Every week, I break down one or multiple characters by sharing their series arc, as well as quotes, facts, and other tidbits. This is episode number 24, being recorded Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. Today, I will be discussing Ron Swanson again. Yes, this will be part two out of two Ron Swanson episodes. Last week, I did part one, which was seasons one, two, and three. This week, I will be covering four, five, six, and seven. If you'd like to contact the show, you can email citizensofpawnee at gmail.com. You can also follow and message the show on Instagram at Citizens of Pawnee Podcast, as well as my other page at Parks Rec Memes. New episodes drop every Wednesday morning and can be heard wherever you find your podcast now. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, uh, moving into some filler. Uh, just a quick uh, tournament update for the Parks Rec Memes page on Instagram last week. I did the best quote from the Swanson Pyramid of Greatness that did wrap up, and the winner was crying. Acceptable at funerals and the Grand Canyon. Congrats. Not my favorite on the list, and a couple people uh, messaged as well on that one and probably felt the same way I did. Like It's funny. It's good. And uh, again, it's kind of like the connectivity thing with uh, Andy that, um, that ad lib he did. Not my favorite. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion, but... Um, even this one here with the crying acceptable at funerals in the Grand Canyon, that one was focused on in the episode. Like they actually zoomed in on it. And I think he I think he even pointed it out and read it. But it was still a good one. But um, I thought there was better ones. Just my opinion. Uh, right now I am doing best Tammy two quote. That one's about to wrap up as well. Actually, it's in the final round. I don't um, I don't. Uh, one of the quotes is the Humpsville one, which is probably my favorite um, when. Ron asks if she's taken the train to Satan's butthole. And then she says she's taken the number 69 train to Humpsville station. Love that. And then uh, what's the other one? Um, I don't remember, but I think the Humpsville one will win. Uh, maybe not though. So anyway, that one, yeah, that I'll draw the results for that one next week. And then another one, I think I will be doing uh, either Purd or the Langman's next. Because someone on uh, Instagram, on the, the Parks Rec memes page, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. I didn't write it down. But uh, they actually requested Tammy, too. And then um, she, uh, the, the, not she, I'm sorry. I think, um, actually, I'm not sure. I believe it's a, it was a man. Who cares? Anyway, it <laughs> um, was saying that uh, they watched the show with their son. And I was like, oh, why don't you ask your son who he'd like? And and then they said uh, the Langmans for him. So it was just like, oh, crap. So I don't know if I'm going to have enough material on them, to be honest. I don't know because I, I don't know if I can find 16 quotes. I'm sure I could, but um, they might just not be that great. So uh, Purd was the other one that that uh, he mentioned. So I'll probably do Purd instead. So anyway, stay tuned to that. Uh, remember, that's on Instagram at Parks Rec Memes. Uh, want to do a quick birthday shout out my sister-in-law Heidi uh her birthday was uh this past Saturday the 24th happy birthday Heidi happy belated um uh, what else is new well I got uh some good news for the show for myself if I can be so self-indulgent uh no I just wanted to thank everyone uh I've 
got to 3000 listens on, um, well, all the platforms, everything, whatever, but, uh, 3000 listens, which I believe is downloads of some sort, or, um, um, I don't know exactly what that entitles, but I'm pretty sure like 2000 of them are from me just picking up random phones and stuff and just downloading them. So anyway, thanks again to, uh, the other thousand downloads, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, before I get into the last thing with Ron, just real quick for my um, what I what I was watching recently, nothing really of note. I will say though, I watched Black Widow again, and I did like it a lot more the second time. I still have the same gripes, but I think I just liked it more. I, the 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 things I did like about it, or maybe some things I uh, didn't notice the first time, because the first time I did go to the theater to watch it, and. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't like a super packed crowd. So I guess that was maybe good and bad. Uh, good, obviously, because I don't, I don't really like people. So I, I don't like being in big groups. Uh, but also just because it wasn't like a bunch of obnoxious people. And it was also at, uh, I think I went at 11 in the morning. So that's probably why. But it was uh, maybe the fact that it was kind of a lame crowd. Maybe that's why I didn't have as much fun at the movie. But also, um, the second time I watched it, I just watched it at home on uh, Disney Plus. So I think the fact that, yeah, I'm actually I heard someone on a different podcast um, talking about this uh, earlier this week that one of the good things about watching these movies on Disney Plus and, and this goes without saying, I mean, the fact that you can pause the movie, you can get up. But I, when you really think about it, like that is very important. I mean, if you have like a good size TV or even a TV size that you're happy with, you know, that you like watching stuff on, it's pretty, pretty damn nice. I'm not going to lie to be, to, you know, laying down watching this movie that I just watched in the theater a week ago <clears throat> um, and being able to pause it, being able to go, uh, you know, get, get food, get drink, whatever, without having to run out and missing parts. So obviously that's obvious, but it, it does, it is a much bigger deal than it sounds like. So, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I definitely, I would recommend Black Widow. So, um, yeah. And then I also, uh, I was going through, uh, I was using my, my buddy's HBO Max thing cause I don't, I don't have it. So I was going through his and I just saw on the, the recommended, things on there was uh this woodstock documentary from woodstock 99 which if you're unfamiliar with woodstock which i'm sure some of you are i know um some of you are are, are a little bit younger but woodstock 99 was like the coachella before coachella but not i mean like coachella successful woodstock <laughs> had all the potential to be very successful and they just completely botched it like the Fire Fest, I don't know if, uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys saw that. If not, there's a documentary on Netflix, it's called Fire, F-Y-R-E, and then there's one on Hulu as well. Um, it's also got the word fire in it, I believe. But those were about, yeah, the Fire Festival, which was just this huge festival that was over-promoted, and I mean, it was just insane, like all the, the social media backing behind it, and it turned out to just be bullshit, the whole thing, like, the guys running it, it was Ja Rule and this guy, Billy something. I forgot his last name. He's in jail. He's a he's a piece of crap anyway, so good thing. Ja Rule should have been in jail too, if you ask me. But anyway, they just conned so many people by promising. They just it, it was like almost like they were drunk one night and it's like, hey man, I got an idea. Let's let's uh we're we're gonna throw our own festival. It's gonna be the biggest thing, it's gonna be bigger than Lollapalooza, you know, whatever. 
And then it's like, what should we do? Do we have any logistics behind this? No, hell no. But let's just let's start charging people and start telling them that uh, that Blink-182 is going to be there and, you know, other bands. And uh, I mean, is Blink-182 going to be there? I don't know. Maybe they will be. Who knows? So it was that was just like a total shit show. But Woodstock 99, this was so much worse than Fire Festival because with Fire Fire Festival, it was mostly. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's just like F these people because this is terrible what happened, but it was mostly just people that were pissed off. They got ripped off, you know, so they, they went out to the end and people they were lied to big time. I watched the documentary and I mean, it was another one that I just got angry watching. And I say another one because this Woodstock one, same thing. I got very angry and upset, like kind of like upset stomach at times watching it. But anyway, so the fire festival one, yeah, it was, it was tragic. What happened to those people? I don't, I don't even, tragic's probably the wrong word. It sucks for them. They got ripped off and they were kind of stuck for a while, you know, in the, the, the that on that Island. So anyway, with the Woodstock one, though, this was, yeah, this was a weekend festival in New York that had, and it took place in 99. Obviously, it was the 30th anniversary of the original Woodstock, which was a peace, love, and music festival that took place in 1969. And so in 1999, they did the 30-year anniversary. And at that time, and I remember this because I was 18 years old at the time, this was the height of like new metal. And this was when it was getting huge, Limp Bizkit, Korn, uh, Godsmack, Seven Dust. These And these bands were all actually on the Woodstock thing. And that's why I'm probably just thinking of those bands off the top of my head because I just watched this documentary yesterday. But these bands, I mean, like they were preaching like anger and I don't want to say hatred, but they were they wanted the, their fans to be pissed off. And they were in during Limp Bizkit set. They just they when they had that song Break Stuff, which is one of their biggest hits, which they were going to play it regardless, even though things were already kind of starting to get out of hand. And this was by the second day. But when they when Limp Bizkit played and Fred Durst, actually, he he got a lot of uh, he, he got in, not he didn't get in any legal trouble or anything. Not that I remember, but he got a lot of crap for this because he was almost like I, you watch it and it's just like this guy's an asshole. Like, what is he doing? Like just almost inciting this crowd of probably, I'm not joking, a hundred thousand people. I mean, like if you watch, go on, go on YouTube, if you don't believe me. And I mean, like if a hundred thousand is too much, let's say at least 50,000, which is that that's insane for that many people to be on the ground watching one band at the same time. But they said in the end there was the, the estimated number of total attendees and they can't tell because so many people just like snuck in like by hopping fences or climbing under fences, whatever, that there was uh, about 400,000 people there. The paid attendance was, I think they said about 250, but that, that just goes to show you how, how unorganized it was. Well, you know, that many people broke in, but it was just mayhem. It, it, it turned into, I mean, like by the, by the, the, the last, the final day, there were fires everywhere. And I mean, this is just, this all started because there was a nonprofit organization handing out candles to people. And, and that was because they were going to do a, a vigil at the end of the, the concert at the end of the weekend. And it was going to be for the, the Columbine shooting, which happened like a few months earlier than that, which I also remember like it was yesterday. It was insane. But um, yeah, so 
these candles, which ironically were supposed to be used for a peaceful vigil, are what started these riots. People were burning shit down. I mean, like they are start. I guess it started off with slight, like some some candle or uh, some some dumpster fires, and then it turned into stages being lit on fire. I mean, it was it was just insane. And I can already feel like I'm getting really passionate about this, so I'm getting way too into it because we're uh, 12 and a half minutes into this thing, and I'm still talking about the Woodstock documentary. So anyway. I found it really interesting. I definitely recommend it. But this this doc came out like a year or two ago. It was on HBO because I actually asked a guy at work. I was like, oh, do you have HBO Max? Yeah, you should check this out. He's like, oh, I saw it on MTV or MTV. Now, MTV was the big sponsor behind Woodstock where they did all the coverage. That's why they're in my head. But uh, HBO, I mean, sorry. So anyway, enough about Woodstock documentaries. Let's move back in to... Uh, move back into that's um let's get on get back on with the show so i was trying i wish i really i wanted to put together like a previously on uh citizens of party and it would have had some clips from you know like the last episode of me like yeah and then ron did this and then ron did that but then i kind of thought it's like it would just sound like i was just recapping it right now like if i put a clip of me talking in a show where all i do is talk anyway it would probably be you know you know a little redundant so anyway, uh, the end of season three, where did we? Oh, Ron's, uh, Ron's wife showed up, if you'll remember. Um, they, had, they just had the, the, oh, they had the memorial for Lil Sebastian, right? Yes, yes, that's how the, the last season ended. They had the, the memorial for Lil Sebastian. Ron had half of his face blown up by the candle. And then at the end of the episode, Donna came and told him that his ex-wife was there. He's like, yeah, I already know that. She's standing right next to me. And that was Tammy too. And then Donna was like, nope, we're not talking about her. We are talking about Tammy one. So we move to season four. In the premiere episode, I'm Leslie Nope. Upon hearing about the return of his ex-wife, Tammy one, Ron grabs his survival pack, which he has hidden in the ceiling of city hall and flees. <clears throat> After several months of hiding in one of his cabins, Leslie finally finds him and the two hide out together for a bit. Leslie is also on the run as, due to her campaign, she needs to break up with Ben, but is avoiding it. Eventually, Ron and Leslie man up and head back to the parks department where Ron announces that Leslie will be running for city council. In Ron and Tammy's, Leslie is excited about the upcoming Battle Royale, which is a big meeting between all the departments where they argue over funding. Ron is usually Leslie's muscle in these meetings because he can pretty much intimidate anyone into backing down. However, this year, he can't attend as he is busy preparing for his pending audit, served to him by ex-wife Tammy One. We find out in this episode that Ron has gold buried all over Pawnee. He explains that Tammy One was a very important person to him. She delivered him as a baby, was his school teacher, and also took his virginity. One of the most effed up things on the show. <laughs> Just that quote right there when he tells them that. And the funny thing is when, when Ron tells April, Leslie, and Andy that fact there that she delivered him as a baby and took his virginity. Uh, actually, I don't think it's in that order. Took his virginity and then delivered me as a baby. April and Leslie are like, Ugh, like they react disgusted. And Andy's like, or, or, no, no, I'm sorry. They they all say, all three of them say, oh my God, 
But Leslie and April say it like in a, oh my God, like disgusted way. And Andy's like, oh my God, like he thinks it's sweet. <sighs> anyway, she was very cold and controlling though. Over the course of the audit, Tammy turns Ron into a neutered version of himself. He's submissive, obedient, clean shaven, and even dressing in vibrant colors and, th and saying things like, hey, Jerry, hump day, am I right? When Leslie finally stands up to Tammy, she admits that the audit is fake and that she's in fact a gold digger and wants all of Ron's. And that's funny too, because Leslie says, you are a literal gold digger because Tammy is literally there to dig up Ron's gold that he has buried in Pawnee, which we will find out that she does find some of it. But Ron's like, oh, it's fool's gold, which I love too, if that is true, that he actually buried fool's gold as well as regular gold around Pawnee. Uh, Leslie asks Tammy two for help, who explains that she is also terrified of Tammy one, who threw acid on Tammy two's foot when her and Ron first got together. Then Leslie decides to try Ron's mom, Tammy zero. Ron's mom comes in to help the only way she can, <clears throat> a prairie drink off. The alcohol is a Swanson family mashup, and it is agreed that if Tammy one wins, she can stay and wreak havoc. But if Tammy zero wins, Ron has to return home to his family farm, which is that that just kind of came out of nowhere in the episode. I think even when Tammy Zero says that, Ron kind of looks at her like, I'm not doing that. Like, the hell? Why? I'm not coming back. To, why would I come back to the farm? So eventually Ron gets tired of all the fighting and slams the entire 10 gallon jug. Nope. 10 liter jug. Uh, if uh, if anyone remembers back in the Tammy's episode for this specific part. I did say that Ron drank a 10-gallon jug, and Elf from Melmac, who I haven't heard from in a while, wink, wink, he he sent me an email and was basically saying, uh, dude, if he drank a 10-gallon jug, he would be dead, like, because uh, 10 gallons, 10 gallons. And then as I pointed out, I'm all, I, I think at the time I said it's the size of a, 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 ten, a small fish tank because I was maybe looking at one of my fish tanks. And thinking that uh, 10 gallons is about that thing. So anyway, uh, yeah, so funny callback there. Anyway, so uh, where are we at? Oh, come on. Ron chugs the whole jug and tells both Tammies to leave him alone. In Pawnee Rangers, Ron has his usual yearly wilderness retreat with the Pawnee Rangers, a group of adolescent boys that will learn to become Swansons. Leslie, however, has her own wilderness group called the Pawnee Goddesses, who she also brings on the retreat. The goddesses do fun things like arts and crafts, candy consumption, playing with puppies and award ceremonies, whereas the rangers do more mundane but useful things like learning how to survive in the wilderness. Eventually, the rangers all decide they want to be goddesses because it's more fun. Ron succumbs to reality and is saddened to find that no one wants to be a ranger anymore. The next day, Leslie takes out an ad in the newspaper for a new group of self-reliant survivalists, and Ron is happy to see it turn out of about six or seven kids who are there to learn. In Smallest Park, Andy Dwyer goes back to school and Ron has helped out with the cost. Andy at first tries to take the easy route by picking an easy class for good grades. Ron suggests Andy challenge himself with a tougher class, and so Andy randomly chooses women's studies. In campaign ad, when Chris has to deliver bad budget news to other departments, he asks if Ron could join him. This turns into a day of pure joy for Ron as he gets to heartlessly inform the departments of the budget cuts. 
Thank you, John, for coming in. The public works department is wonderful. And you are the best idea man in the business. Also, we're canceling all of your ongoing projects. What? What about the Pawnee River Dam? Dam's dead. Have a nice day. Where will all the water go? Wherever it's headed now. The important thing is the dam is never happening and your dream has been crushed. We're very sorry. I am not. Good meeting. However, Ron gets a little uncomfortable when Chris asks him out to lunch. He goes, but then tries to avoid Chris after that until Donna points out that Chris might just be in need of a friend with Ben being so busy with the campaign. When Ron tries pawning off Kyle, the most pathetic man in Pawnee, to fill in as a friend, Chris tells Ron that he wasn't in need of a friend. He was scouting Ron to see if he would be a suitable replacement for Ben's old job as assistant city manager. This episode has one of my favorite scenes where the part I was just talking about where uh, Ron goes out to lunch with Chris because it's it's hard to explain. I guess actually it's not hard to explain, but like you have to really visualize. Chris is talking to Ron. He invites him out to lunch and Ron says, you know, no thanks. And then Chris just, he's like, oh, come on, come on. You got to come with me, Ron. <laughs> and he starts laughing and it shows and like, so, all right, all right, here we go. Let's try this one more time. Shows Ron with like that, you know, whatever his background. And he, it's just kind of like a close up on his face. And, and then it cuts to Chris talking and Chris, like he starts laughing and then it cuts back to Ron and you still hear Chris laughing. However, if you're not paying attention, you don't realize that Ben or, or that uh, Ron is now in a different setting. His head still is like, placed the exact same way and he's wearing the same clothing. However, the background is different and then it pans out and they're in a completely different location, which I think it is so hysterical because I believe it's the only time in the show they do something like that, which is like a complete, like which defies logic. It doesn't make sense. Even Ron says right there, he's like, I don't know what happened. I declined his invitation. He started laughing. And the next thing I knew we were at lunch. Did he drug me? It's uh, again, and I was talking to, uh, I went to a, a, a White Sox game uh, two week to, two weekends ago, and I was talking to my buddy Rob about the show, and we, we I feel like every time we, we see each other, we talk about that part, because again, it is just so, it's so funny, and it is something that never happens, to my knowledge, something like that does not happen again on the show, because it's, it's physically impossible what happened, so it's, it's so funny. I mean, like it's again, one of my favorite scenes in operation. Anne, we find out that Ron has a peculiar hobby that we didn't know about scavenger hunts. When Leslie makes one for Ben, he enlists the help of Ron and Andy. The three fail to find the last riddle, but Ron correctly guesses that the answer is Lil Sebastian's grave spot. Later, Ron asks Leslie to make him his own scavenger hunt for his next birthday. In the episode, Dave returns when Andy enlists all available Parks Department members to help with backing vocals on the new track he's making for Leslie's campaign, Ron is horrified to find out that they're recording at the same studio that Duke Silver records at. He enlists the help of April to destroy any pictures or, or memorabilia of Duke Silver, as upon closer look, Ron would easily be spotted by anyone. The song is coming together, but just needs one more thing to make it perfect. When everyone is on a break, Ron busts out his sax and records some new audio for the song.
Where's that saxophone coming from? I don't know. I don't know the first thing about music. Oh, is that a new mix? It sounds way better. See? Just needed to clear your head. In Lucky, after Andy finishes and passes his women's studies class, Ron treats him and April out to lunch, and they also invite Andy's professor to come along. While at the restaurant, the group notices Chris Traeger sitting alone, so April invites, invites him over. Chris and Linda, Andy's professor, seem to be hitting it off at the lunch until Chris asks her out and she politely declines. Immediately after Chris leaves, Linda asks Ron to come back to her place and the, they promptly get up and leave. The next day, Ron has his Tiger Woods outfit on, so you know what that means. He got laid last night. Under the advice of Andy and April, Ron tells Chris about Linda and the two hug it out. Chris not holding any hard feelings. Yeah, it's 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 just really good because I mean it sucks for Chris because he's still going through just this depressing time in his life, like breaking up with Millie. He still kind of likes Ann Perkins, but she's already kind of made the decision, like, no, nah, man, you broke up with me. They will get back together later, but at this point, Chris is just really vulnerable and he's just kind of going through a lot. So you think he's actually hitting it off with this professor and then he asks her how she's like, no, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm getting over a rough breakup. And then right when he walks out, she's like, you want to go back to my place? And Ron's like, absolutely. Or whatever he says. And they just get up and leave. In live ammo, Chris tells Ron that he's among the finalists for assistant city manager. But as part of his interview, so to say, Chris makes Ron attend a yoga class with him. <clears throat> Chris is impressed by Ron's willingness to participate and decides to give him the assistant city manager job. In the season finale, win, lose, or draw, after Ron has a talk with Ben about the new city manager job, Ron decides to tell Chris thanks but no thanks and that he's perfectly happy and content with his current job at the Parks Department. <clears throat> season 5. In How a Bill Becomes a Law, Chris has started a 311 phone service where citizens can call to voice any comments or concerns. Ron gets a call from a woman named Diane Lewis about a pothole in the street right in front of her driveway. After redirecting her to public works multiple times with no results, Ron decides to just go and fix it himself. With the help of Andy, Ron heads over and he and Diane don't hit it off at first, but after some small talk and jokes, the two are flirting. After the two leave, which happens after Ron agrees to play dress up with Diane's daughters and is then embarrassed when Diane laughs at him, we find out that Andy left Diane a note telling her that Ron likes her and where he works. Diane goes to City Hall and thanks Ron again and asks him out, which he accepts. In Halloween Surprise, Diane invites Ron and Andy to go trick-or-treating with her and her two daughters, Zoe and Ivy. When Diane is called away for work, Ron and Andy are left to trick-or-treat with the girls. When the girls start arguing over a tiara, Ron breaks it in half so that each girl gets a half, this genuinely being how Ron thinks he should solve this problem, not trying to be like a jerk and not like one of those like, no, no one gets it and like breaking it. He's literally breaking it, breaking it in half and giving each of them a half like uh, here. I don't you know. And of course, that he just broke the TR and now they're both against him. It doesn't matter whose it is, but the girls are very upset and the night ends. Later, Diane leaves Ron an angry voicemail, which he basically ignores and says he's not ready for a whole family anyway. After a botched makeup attempt by Diane, she leaves angrily when Ron shows up at Diane's. I'm sorry. She leaves angrily. Then Ron shows up at Diane's with gifts for her and the kids, and they all make up. In the episode Ben's Parents, 
Tom has reached out to Ron to be an investor in his new business venture, Rent-A-Swag. Ron is at first apprehensive, but then Tom, Tom tells Ron that he is no longer working with Jean-Ralphio Saperstein, and Ron agrees to invest. In Ron and Diane, Ron is nominated by the Indiana Fine Woodworking Association for a chair he built. Ron invites Diane and is surprised when Leslie invites herself. Throughout the night, Leslie is very friendly with Diane, but also serving almost as Ron's protector when Tammy too shows up out of nowhere. Diane doesn't see Tammy as a problem, though. She sees Leslie as the problem. Diane knows there's nothing sexual between the two, but knows Leslie and Ron have a strange friendship that she'd never be able to replicate with Ron. When Ron finds this out, he brings Diane to Cozy's bar and performs as Duke Silver to prove to her that she's the woman in his life. Awesome scene, by the way. I think I talked about it in probably Diane's episode, but yeah, just how he... It's a cool way he 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 tells her he's like oh excuse or he tells her to look one way and then he gets up and walks her on the back way and just like it's so smooth how he does it he just like puts his hat on and grabs the sax and then he uh, dedicates a song to her and one woman leans over and she's just like oh my god I'm so jealous you're so lucky and then another one leans over and she's just like I'm going to kill you <clears throat> because again these women are all obsessed with Duke Silver in the episode Women in Garbage. Ron spends two days with Diane's kid, and he enlists the help of Ann Perkins. Later, the girls lock themselves in the conference room and begin to lop each other's hair off with the surgical scissors from Ann's nursing bag that she was using to play with with the girls. When Diane arrives to pick the girls up, she assures a terrified Ron that it's okay and that none, none of them got hurt. She then tells him she loves him, and he reciprocates. In Leslie and Ben, the Parks Department has organized a black tie gala to raise money for the park project on Lot 48. When Leslie and Ben decide this is the night they want to get married, they decide to have it after the gala. Later, an intoxicated Jeremy Jam shows up and starts booing everyone and sets off a fart bomb. When Ron steps in and warns Jam to stop pushing him, Ron punches him and the two are arrested. After Ann posts Ron's bond, he is released, and he and the gang head to City Hall, where Leslie and Ben have an impromptu wedding. When when Ron punches Jam, it's... Uh... Sorry, that sounded echoey. I got a little bit of a sore throat, so I'm trying to drink in between here real quick. <clears throat> Obviously not doing it very subtly, because I just explained my, my evil plan to you guys. But yeah, so Jam just keeps getting in his face and he, he shoves Rob, Ron on the shoulder and then he does it again. And Ron tells him, you've got one more and he pushes him. And then it's just so quick, just a boom, like how fast he punches Jam in the face and Jam just, boom, he just drops like a pile of bricks. It's great. In the episode Partridge, Ron is being sued by Jam for the punch. April, Andy and Tom are all present as they were witnesses. April and Tom lie under oath, saying that Ron's a great guy and that he would never punch anyone. Andy is the only one who's truthful. After April and Tom change their statements, per Ron's request, <clears throat> later, I'm sorry, later though, they blackmail Jam by showing him that his affidavit wasn't entirely accurate either. Jam eventually drops the lawsuit. <coughs> Man. In the season finale, Are You Better Off?, the Parks Department is at one of Ron's cabins on a retreat. When Andy misplaces his sweatshirt, he finds it in a wastebasket next to a positive pregnancy test. Andy decides to call in Bert Macklin for the investigation, as the only women at the cabin were Leslie, Ann, Donna, April, and Mona Lisa. After some detective work, it is found out that none of them are pregnant. Later, 
Andy tells Ron about the test and is still confused as to whose it is. Just then, Diane comes in and asks Ron, can we talk? And the episode and season end. In season six, we start off with the first episode, London, and it starts off picking up where season five ended. Hey, can we talk maybe in private? You and me? I believe she's referring to me, son. Please excuse us. So, I uh, am pregnant. I see. I don't understand how. We were so careful. I warned you about this. Standard birth control methods aren't usually effective against a Swanson. After that, feeling overwhelmed, maybe, Ron proposes to Diane right there. The two decide that they don't want a big elaborate wedding and get married on the fourth floor that day. In the Pawnee Eagleton tip-off classic, Ron becomes increasingly paranoid about his privacy when he gets a magazine addressed to him in the mail, but sent to Diane's house. He enlists the help of Tom and Donna, and the trio do whatever they can to get Ron off the grid. After Ron realizes Tom has been live streaming most of their day and posting pictures and videos of Ron on Facebook, he decides he's going to buy an RV and live there so he can always be mobile. Literally out of nowhere, Diane arrives at the RV dealership that Ron is at and gives him an earful after she had been trying to contact him all day. She tells him she understands his values and how he needs his personal time, but he is now a family man and needs to be able to be contacted. So he buys an old flip phone that can only be contacted by Diane, Zoni, Zoni, Zoe, and Ivy. In Gin It Up, after Ben discovers that Ron doesn't have a will, he convinces him to get one written up. Ron feels as though the will he wrote as a child and keeps in his wallet will suffice. It's a small folded piece that says, Upon my death, all of my belongings shall transfer to the man or animal who has killed me. When Ben tries to convince him, Ron reveals that he doesn't want to have spoiled children who have no work ethic, that are reliant on his money. While Ben understands this, he explains that if anything were to suddenly happen, most of Ron's money would go to the government without a proper will. Ron finally meets with lawyer Trevor Nelson and writes up a will that gives each of his children 5% of his fortune, which is implied to still be a lot of money. In the Cones of Dunshire, Ron decides it's time to sell one of his cabins. He enlists Regal Meagle Realty to help sell it. At the open house, Ron is so disgusted by all the hipsters who want to buy the cabin and alter it. He disgustedly ends the house I'm sorry, he he disgustedly ends the open house and declares that he's not selling. Later, April makes him an offer for the cabin. She tells him that her champion and Andy would use the cabin to hide from people and get away. He sells it to her for the contents of her purse, which is like $8 and like just some other random junk like gum wrappers and stuff. Tom and Donna are shocked and angry as the two were looking forward to the big commission check. In the wall... We find out that Ron Swanson is a new father. Ron didn't tell anyone, including Leslie, that his son John had been born. After the park staff discovers the baby, who Ron has brought to work with him for the day, Ron gets annoyed and takes John and returns to the third floor of City Hall, which is under construction. Ron loves it up here as it's silent and there are open construction projects everywhere for him to work on. Later, when the crew working on the third floor shows up for work, 
Ron tells them that he will do all of the renovations himself for no fees. The workers will be paid, but Ron will do the flawless work himself. <clears throat> Fun side note about this one, and this actually kind of goes back to uh, the episode, the Lurpus one, which was like three or four episodes ago where I was talking about some of the funny names on this show that they came up with. I love that this guy, the guy who's running this crew, obviously the foreman, his name is George. So he's called Foreman George. Foreman, comma, George, George Foreman. Hey, <clears throat> I don't know. I thought it was really funny. In new slogan, Andy is desperate to find bands to play the Unity concert. <clears throat> he asks Craig Middlebrooks. I feel like we haven't talked about Craig in a while. It's been uh, since the Doppelgangers episode. Yeah. Anyway, uh, for any recommendations on Eagleton bands he may know of. Craig tells Andy that the club Cozy's has pretty good music on Thursdays. And you know who plays Cozy's on Thursdays, or the second Thursday of every month, right? <clears throat> yep, Duke Silver. Andy notices, but thinks Ron has a twin. However, the charade only lasts about 10 seconds, and Ron confesses to Andy that he is Duke Silver. Can I help you? Maybe. I was out at the jazz club last night, scouting bands for the Unity concert, and I saw something. Very interesting. I'm you have a Duke twin Silver. brother. What? I you have a Duke twin Silver? brother? Yes, I am Duke Silver. <laughs> the only other people I know are Tom and April, so please keep it to yourself. Are you kidding me? You're really good! So... <clears throat> I don't know if that's an error like on purpose or if that's a writer error, but Ron just said that only April and Tom know. That's not true. The Mark one, like we know Mark knows he's the one that told Tom about it. Okay, so I could believe that maybe Ron doesn't know that. Maybe Mark, that's a secret he's got on Ron. However, we do know for sure that Ron told Diane. He showed it to her. So Diane also knows. However, maybe he just said that to Diane because it was like talking about people in the workplace. Who knows? Ron decides that he would rather quit jazz altogether than have the world know that he's Duke Silver and tosses his sacks into the garbage can. Later, Andy retrieves the sacks and tells Ron that he can't quit music and that his secret is safe. In 1 in 8,000, Ron volunteers to help make costumes for the Unity Concert's youth review segment. He asks Donna to help, and it's at the school that Ron's two stepdaughters attend, which also happens to be where Donna's ex-boyfriend, Joe, works. Joe, by the way, is played by Keegan-Michael Key of uh, Key and Peele. Very funny actor. I, I, I love him, actually. I was really happy that he was in this show. I didn't see it coming, and I didn't know that before I saw him. But, uh, yeah, when he showed up, I was like, oh, hell yeah, that's awesome. So he's not, like, a huge character on the show, but he's in probably, uh, I think he's in, like, three or four episodes. So Donna agrees to help, but only if Ron can keep Joe away from her. When they meet, Ron is immediately on the defensive, being cold and rude to Joe. Turns out, though, that Joe is a really good, nice guy. And to Donna, that's not a good thing. It is clear, though, that Donna still harbors feelings for Joe. So Ron tells her not to confuse drama with happiness. She takes Ron's advice and gives Joe another chance. And the two will get married in season seven. <clears throat> in the season finale, Moving Up, 
Ron finally reveals his biggest secret when during a rendition of 5,000 Candles in the Wind by Mouse Rat and the other big acts at the Unity concert, he appears on stage in front of a huge crowd as Duke Silver. Leslie, Ben, Chris, Anne, Donna, and Jerry are shocked. Later, after the concert, Leslie visits the third floor, thinking it was still under construction and wanting to find a quiet place to think. To her surprise, Ron is up there, and he has, a com- and he has completely refinished at the renovation, and it looks beautiful. This will eventually become the new home of the National Park Service, but we will talk about that more in Season 7, which is right now. <clears throat> in the episode 2017, the show has flashed forward three years. As I have stated in every episode, that includes a character that's in fi- uh, the final season. Anyway, so we have found out that the impossible has happened. Ron and Leslie are enemies. At this point, <clears throat> all we know is that Ron is working with Grizzle to buy the land that the Newport family is selling. Leslie also wants this land, but she wants it to be given to the National Park Service. Ron left the Parks Department two years ago and now runs his own building and development company called The Very Good Building Company. Him and Leslie bicker upon meeting and we're still left confused about what happened between these two since last season. In Ron and Jamie, Leslie and Ron put their differences aside to help out an unlikely person. Jeremy? Jam. Huh? Jam is now dating Ron's ex-wife, Tammy, too. And the two are planning on working together to screw over both Leslie and Ron however they can. After seeing what Tammy is doing to Jeremy, both physically and emotionally, Leslie and Ron bring him to one of Ron's cabins and they deprogram him with a series of exercises. So, yeah, uh, Jam, obviously we all know Jam and we know Tammy. Jam is pathetic and Jammy's just like kind of, I I just called him Jammy. That's actually what the the couple will go on to be nicknamed. But Tammy too is obviously crazy and evil and uh, possessive and uh, controlling. And then there's Jeremy Jam, who is just so desperate to like get laid by anyone. He's yeah. And just to be probably just to be liked by anyone because Leslie's his only friend and she like hates him. But anyway, so yeah, it's a really one-sided relationship where he's just trying to basically stay with her and she doesn't give her rat's ass, but she's just keeping him around just because she thinks it could help out with like her destroying Ron's life. So um, the deprogramming works, but Leslie and Ron part ways still as enemies. In Leslie and Ron, we finally find out what happened with the two. After Ben locks them in the park's office together with no way out, the two must talk out their differences in order to be released. After a few hours of failed escape and a cameo from our favorite Shania Twain-loving custodian, remember him in uh, season three when little Sebastian dies and they're having the moment of silence, he walks in and you just hear the, the best part about being a woman, you know, the, uh, 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 that one, that was pretty good, I think, on my part. But anyway, he's listening to the same song and Leslie and Ron are in their, you know, obviously they're in um, Ron's office, I believe, or they're just whatever. They're right outside of the courtyard there. And on the other side of the courtyard, in an office, like in a different department, that guy's in there cleaning and it's the same Shania uh, Twain song. I think it's called Go Crazy. So uh, we find out the story. 
Ron explains that when Leslie left the parks department two years ago, she took Jerry and April with her and that left none of his friends in the department after Tom and Donna also left to pursue other careers. In November of 2014, Ron decided he was going to make a bold move and ask Leslie for a job with the National Park Service, if anything, just to be back with his friends. He and Leslie were going to have a lunch meeting and he was going to ask her then, but due to her very busy schedule, she forgot. After she blew off Ron, he realized he didn't want a government job anymore and quit. When he started his own company, they were contracted to do the Morningstar Project, which was the adding of new developments next to Lot 48, which is also where Anne's old house was. The destruction of her best friend's former house is what made Leslie so mad at Ron. He does admit that he regretted taking on the Morningstar Project in the first place, knowing it would eventually lead to Leslie getting upset. After this, the two finally embrace and become friends again. Ron was simply lonely and couldn't tell anyone. The next morning, Ron gives Leslie a framed picture as a peace offering. He tells her that the frame was made from the door on Anne's house, an item that he saved before it was torn down in case he and Leslie ever reconciled. The two then head off to get breakfast at JJ's Diner. So this episode, Ron and Leslie, or Leslie and Ron, is one of the highest rated on IMDb. I think it's a good episode, but I, I can't lie. Like, besides this, the series finale, which is the last episode of season seven, I don't think season seven's that great. I hate to say, it's good. It's definitely still good, but I guess in comparison, it's just, I, I, I feel like the show got cheated. I don't know. I mean, like, I haven't looked into everything about this, but to me, it just seemed that, I mean, like, I, I believe they were putting two episodes out weekly, or at least towards the and maybe they were. But yeah, the, the finale obviously was two episodes. So that was just in a week by itself. But yeah, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a good episode. And I think it was just because it was Ron and Leslie centric, like they were really the only two in the episode for probably 80% of it. So good episode, though, good episode, definitely overall, <clears throat> probably the best one in season seven beside the finale. In Grizzlebox, the citizens of Pawnee are in uproar about being data mined by Grizzle. Apparently, everything they're doing is legal, but they use shady tactics to get there. Ron, however, doesn't use digital devices that can be data mined, so he just laughs it off, saying the people have only themselves to blame. Later in the episode, Ron appears at Leslie and Ben's house holding a Grizzle drone that he shot down after it delivered a gift to his four-year-old son. Ron then declares his allegiance to Leslie, now intent on taking Grizzle down. In Save JJ's, Ron and Leslie come up with a plan that will help both Grizzle and the National Park Service. They suggest Grizzle, who has now become the owner of the Newport land after paying $125 million, donate the land to the Park Service as a sign of good faith for their data mining. They present that Grizzle move their headquarters to Beachview Terrace, which is run down but has good bones and could be restored to greatness. Grizzle agrees to the proposal and Leslie finally gets the Newport land. So this is this is like a huge deal on the show. And while I love how creative they can get in this show, it seems highly unlikely to me that Grizzle would literally just give away $125 million, like because it's like, uh whoops like we yeah we shouldn't have done that even though what they were doing was completely legal it was like they just needed to have some like good good pr and it's like 125 million for that i don't know i mean i guess 
Grizzle in this in in Parks and Rec is like the equivalent to like Apple or Google, I guess. So let's say Google. So maybe they have maybe 125 million is not a lot to them. I don't know. But in the episode Pie Mary, April reveals to Ron that her and Andy will be moving to Washington. Ron is visibly upset, but acts as though he doesn't care, which confuses April. He asks that she return the house key he gave her years back, which was just a spare for his house. When she finally reveals that she can't find it, her, Ron, and Andy go on a scavenger hunt to find it. When they finally hit a dead end, April remembers the spot. It was hidden in a can under a big, strong tree that reminded April of Ron. Ron approves of the spot as he also has gold hidden under the same tree. This is a good Ron and April bonding uh, moment, which I talked about in the part one of Ron, which if you didn't hear, go back and listen to that one first. If you don't already hate this one so much that, you know, you'll, you'll listen to another one. In the episode two funerals, Ron's barber, Salvatore, has passed away. You'll remember Salvatore from season one, the, the Banquet, which is episode five. He gave Leslie the very manly hair cut, <laughs> updo, whatever. Ron is grief-stricken and fears that no one will be able to cut his hair like his hair like Salvatore did. Donna introduces Ron to her barber friend, Typhoon. The two bond immediately. So, Typhoon, what do you like to do for fun? I'm writing an electronic opera about Brittany Murphy, and I do the chandelier design for my friend's drag puppet show. No further questions. All I really want to do is dance. Except lately, all the good warehouse raves are filled with Euro trash. Euro trash. I like that. It is indeed a garbage continent. Yes. Oh, my God. I had the worst time in Berlin last May. Everyone was on their stupid bikes. I was like, ew. <laughs> Please talk more about how you hate Europe and bicycles. Uh, yeah, I love uh, with Ron and Typhoon. Like, actually, Ron goes on to be Typhoon's best man when he marries Craig. So that was actually kind of awesome. I, I just, it was very quick, like their relationship. But when it flash forwards to Craig and Typhoon, I forgot what year it is in the season or in, yeah, in the, in the series finale. And Ron, like I said, he's <clears throat> standing on Typhoon's side. So that was kind of cool. But uh, in the series finale, One Last Ride, Ron's flash forward takes place in 2022. We find out that the very good building company is in great shape and is doing very well financially. Just then, though, Ron decides to quit. After investing some money in Lagavulin, his favorite whiskey, he travels to Washington from, for some advice from Leslie. He tells her that he's at a personal crossroad and doesn't know what he wants to do with his life now. She tells him to give her some time, and the two meet at the National Park in Pawnee that Leslie helped build with the Newport Land. It's a beautiful park, <clears throat> it's a beautiful park and Ron tells Leslie if th that if this was his office, he'd be excited to work. Funny he should say that because Leslie offers him the job of superintendent of the park. He accepts, meets his new rangers, possibly Pawnee rangers. I actually thought of that when I was looking over this. That would have been, I didn't go back and look at the kids who signed up for Ron's class like the second time after Leslie put out the ad. And I know there were less rangers in this season finale. There was like two or three versus like the seven, six or seven kids that were in the older episode. But that would have been kind of cool to see if like, I don't know. I highly doubt they would have like brought any of those kids back, but that would have been kind of, it would have been a nice Easter egg if they did bring those back and those were his new Rangers. But um, anyway, and then yeah, Ron paddles off uh, in his canoe listening to, or with Willie Nelson playing 
in the background and such an such a great ending i think i was asked once by someone about which whose ending i thought was the best for parks and rec like in that episode and i'm not going to say ron's was the best but like i i think i find the most joy in his because of like how just how the song's playing in the background and he paddles off and it's like he has reached like his utopia like he's there it's you know he's he's in heaven so in the parks and recreation special we see that ron is living in a cabin with diane still who we don't see in this episode and we don't see her in any of season seven actually i think i brought this up in the diane lewis episode and it was i was kind of talking about how i just didn't really like her as a character i just or i didn't dislike her but i just didn't like her either but that was another thing. I just didn't like that she wasn't in season seven. And again, they said it was like scheduling conflicts. But they, I feel like they could have done something. I mean, that's it's Ron's wife. You know, she couldn't be in one episode. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of bogus. But anyway, so they're still married, obviously. But who we do see is Tammy, too. And this is uh, way at the end of the episode. Ron reveals that uh, they caught her sneaking around the cabin and have tied her up and they're waiting for the authorities to show up. And I did say this in last week's episode when I was talking about what my favorite Tammy moment was. And that was it just because during this uh, this COVID quarantine episode, they were the only two cast members that could be on screen together because they are married and they live together. So I thought that was great. So that's it. That is the story of Ronald Ulysses Swanson for now. Um, that'd be great if the show kept going on. And um, yeah, so uh, let's move on to our usual after after show stuff. Uh, we're going to start off with Shared Universe. Believe it or not, and I say this because most of our main cast for Parks and Rec, the, uh, the 10 or 11, if you include Mark Brandanowicz, not most of them, not many of them appear in anything uh, of the Michael Schur uh, uh, universe, but Ron Swanson, Nick Offerman, that is. However, it could be Ron Swanson. It could be. In The Good Place, the series finale, Whenever You're Ready, which is a fantastic finale. That's a great show, too. I've talked about it many times, but it go watch the good place it, it's so good it's on netflix four seasons each each season is like 12 or 13 episodes i think there is a total of 50 episodes it's such a great show go watch it when you're done listening to this show anyway so in that episode tahani who is one of the characters she is trying to go through she has like a bucket list basically but she's been doing this bucket list for like hundreds of years because she's already in the good place and one of the very last things on her bucket list is to become an expert woodworker. So we all of a sudden we just cut in and she's working on a chair and it shows out and it's Nick Offerman. Now he does not look like Ron Swanson because as if you know, Nick Offerman, he doesn't look like that character. He has short hair. Sometimes a lot of times he has a shaved head, but he actually has like a more modern haircut and he doesn't have the mustache. He has had the mustache before, obviously. Um, but yeah, now, I mean, like, I don't, I don't believe he has it. And then on that show making it that he does with Amy Poehler. Yeah. It's, I think it's pretty much just a shaved head and uh, clean shaven, uh, on the face. So yeah, he, he appeared like that. And, but he was just talking like Nick Offerman, who, if you're unaware, 
talks exactly like Ron Swanson. And a lot of the character of Ron Swanson came from just Nick Offerman's, like how he is. You know, he's not as, like not, not all the beliefs and everything, but a lot of Ron Swanson's mannerisms are Nick Offerman. And he came, with a, came up with a lot of this stuff. And uh, the whole woodworking thing is true. Like Nick Offerman is a really good woodworker. He has his own shops. And I'm pretty sure, or I wouldn't be surprised, maybe not based on like travel locations and stuff, but I wouldn't be surprised if these were his actual warehouses that they used on the show. I should have looked into that, but I didn't think of it till right now, to be honest with you. So anyway, yes, he was in uh, the one episode of The Good Place. And then there is also a crossover Easter egg with Ron Swanson in The Good Place, and that is... So they're showing the scene when one of the characters dies. That's Jason Mendoza. Spoiler alert. Sorry, because if I just I just told you to. Anyway, you know what? Ah, I, I, I shouldn't have just I shouldn't have even said the guy's name. This isn't how he actually dies. But there's a part where involving him, you see in the basket uh, in the background, there is a safe. And on the safe, it says Swanson Safe Company. And it was revealed by Michael Schur, I believe. Don't quote me on this, but they were saying that, yeah, the very good building company put that together, like, or it was part of their building. But yeah, the Swanson Safe Company is apparently uh, related to the Ron Swanson family. My favorite scene with Ron Swanson is probably in the episode Ron and Tammy, the first one, I believe, when they are at the, the diner fighting and... They sit down and Tammy at first is trying to be civil. She's like, you know, like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. How are you? And he immediately just says to her, you've aged horribly. And she's like, you son of a bitch. And from there, the, the montage scene is just so funny of like their ups and downs. It's them. They start fighting with each other. And then they're sitting at opposite tables with their backs to each other. Then their backs screaming in each other's faces. And Tammy says something. She's like, oh, yeah, well, who set the bed on fire? And Rod's just like, I did. And the way he, like, points to himself and screams in her face. And that it's just such a funny scene. And then the, the, the manager or you know, the manager of the diner comes over and he's like, OK, I'm sorry. You folks have to leave. So they get kicked out. And then it just shows them pulling up in Ron's car. And he drives like a sedan, like an older one, like a like a Taurus or something. But. He, he drives up in that and the two run out of the car right to the motel room and they're just, they're already getting undressed as they're running. Like they show uh, Megan Mullally, they show her topless, but she's blurred out. She's, I, mean, I assume she's got one of those like skin suit things on, but yeah, it's just really funny. Like that whole scene is just great. And my, uh, like I said, my favorite part in that is Ron when he yells back, I did, because it's like he lit a mattress on fire, I guess, because <laughs> I don't think she's speaking metaphorically. I think he literally set the bed on fire. And my favorite line, and I'm not going to play it because I know I have played this. I believe I did the clip during Andy's episode. It's the moan. The very, very, very funny, very popular, very hilarious moan that Ron emits when Andy is giving him a shoe, sign, shoe shine and he goes over Ron's bunion and Ron moans like he's having sex. It's he's uh, uh, and Andy stops and it's just an awkward moment for I, I'm no joke, like a good four or five seconds of absolute silence. 
before the camera finally cuts away to Andy's talking head. Dude, what the boop? And he's just like, oh my God. Like he's, he's creeped out by the whole thing because it sounds like Ron had an orgasm. And then it cuts over to Ron, who's just like, uh, what? Uh, it was uh, a shoe shine, and I uh, made a noise. I, I don't think it was a big deal. Clearly embarrassed, but he's, you know, he, so anyway, that's, that is probably my favorite. Like, I laugh the hardest when I, during that scene, every time. It's me every time. So that's, uh, that's pretty much the end of uh, Ron Swanson and the character's for now, I apologize for the throat clearings and stopping to uh, my my drinks here and there. I, I do have a bit of a sore throat. I've been like kind of coughing a little bit here and there. I think I got a cold coming on because I got a, a runny nose too. A runny nose. But anyway, that is going to wrap up the episode. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Remember, if you'd like to contact the show, citizensofpawnee at gmail.com is how you can reach me. You can also like and follow on Instagram at Citizens of Pawnee Podcast and at Parks Rec Memes. New episodes drop every Wednesday morning and can be heard wherever you get your podcasts now. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Next week, I will be discussing... I have no idea. No, to be honest with you, I have not... 100% decided what I will be talking about next week. I will tell you though, that the, sh- as I, as I talked about before, the format of the show will be changing a little bit. Not, I mean like not, well, yeah, kind of drastically because before the show was centered around uh, the citizens of Pawnee specifically, each episode just being about mostly one character uh, from here. I mean, like, I think I'll revisit some characters every here and there. Uh, maybe like someone, if they want to hear about uh, Jessica Wicks or uh, someone else that I can't think of right now. I don't know, Ethel Beavers, maybe. But yeah, for the time being, I just feel like I kind of went through and I got most of the characters that need to be, not, not even need to be, but that have things that are worth discussing. Again, I would like to do an episode one of these days, but it's going to take a lot of research. And I just want to talk about the citizens of Pawnee, like the actual, the people, like the the townspeople that we do see in multiple episodes, but they don't have, I can't talk about them because again, Chance Friendlum, the guy who starts all the chants, that's what he does. I can't, I, I, can't, I don't have enough to write like, you know, pages upon pages of information about him. It's like, well, in this episode, he started this chant. And then in this episode, you started this chant. But I will get to them eventually because I do uh, I do love those characters and everyone knows who they are. It's just by name, you don't really know. And then it's like, oh, that guy. So, uh, but I also, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be having more discussions. And that might just be with myself because I'm a weirdo. But I want to, because I a lot of what I do with the with these character episodes, a lot of it is scripted. And that's, and I mean, like I write all this, I do all the, the work myself, but I pretty much like I get the information and I just write it down because if you listen to the earlier episodes, the ones where I always talk about how I say basically all the time, that's because like, if I'm not reading the script, I get off course and I just start babbling. So you might hear basically is coming up in the future actually, but I don't know. I'm going to see, um, maybe reaching out, maybe getting a guest here or there, just so I have people to talk with, get some other people's, uh, you know, some of my family and friends, maybe. 
see if uh can get to have any fun discussions about parks and rec and hopefully um you know keep you guys entertained i uh i'm gonna try to uh keep this this funny and um yeah i just hope now that ron swanson that episode is done and we've talked about most of the characters um i hope you guys stick around because i do uh yeah plan on putting the same effort in having as much fun weekly and uh yeah just remember send those emails if you um want to be involved in the show so again thank you for listening to citizens of pawnee a parks and recreation podcast my name is brian and i'll see you next week the answer to the trivia question is newt gingrich